Man, I tell you what, um, just as we together sing, there is no one like our God. This is what scripture teaches us. This is what scripture reminds us of, that there is no one like our God. That, that our God is not just loving, but he is love. And that our God is not just merciful, but he is mercy. Our God is not just gracious, but he is grace itself. Our God is not just powerful, he is power. Our God is, is not just capable, he is capacity. He is creator and sustainer of all things. All capacity is within him. He has no limit to his capacity. The God we serve is not just by our side, he is with us. And the God we serve does not just help us live righteous lives, he is our righteousness. I mean, it's insane, the God we serve. That's right. And we are gathered here. We are gathered here to be reminded, to remember this is our God. And we are his people and we are who we are because of who he is. This is why we gather. Welcome to the gathering of the saints, the gathering of the followers of Jesus, the gathering of the people of God, where we are commanded by scripture through the author of Hebrews that we should gather together regularly so that we are stirred up by one another toward love and good deeds to remember and hold fast to the confession of our faith because we are called to remember who God is, uh, what he has done for us, and who we are because of him. And when we remember the gospel, then we are safe. Then we are sound. And then we live our lives rightly according to God's grace toward us. This is why we're here. Welcome. It's awesome. And I need you here. And you need me here. I need your voice singing. I need your expression of worship so that I am stirred by your faith. And you need mine because we are the body of Christ and through us he shows himself to each other. I need your conversation in the lobby. I need to see your face and you need to see mine welcome. What a place we are. So Jude is the letter that we are currently exploring in our journey through the Bible that started 17 plus years ago. Uh, we are in that historical context where we are at the end uh, of the kind of closing out of the authors of the New Testament. Uh, there's still a few to come post AD 70. John writes his three uh, little letters and Revelation is written. But really now we are in the AD 60s and in the AD 60s. You've got Paul writing 2 Timothy, his second letter to Timothy. You've got Paul writing Titus, his letter to Titus. You've got Peter writing 2 Peter, his second letter to the churches. And you've got Jude writing in the same historical context. And as we are in this space, uh, if you remember two weeks ago when we entered Jude, we are in a space now where all of these authors closing out these letters, uh, they, they have a common theme. There's a multitude of things they're 
dealing with, but there is a common theme. And this common theme that is stretching through these final letters is this. Church, hold fast to the truth. Church, hold fast to the gospel. Church, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Church, hold fast to the word of God. Church, hold fast to the truth. Watch out for falsehood. Watch out for false belief. Watch out for false teachers. It's everywhere. It's all the time. It has been. It is. And it will be. Hold fast to the truth. This is the theme that is running these letters. Because when we don't hold fast to the truth, to the gospel, to the word of God, we are vulnerable to false belief. And when false belief becomes a part of our story, the journey that false belief takes us on is one of terrible consequence. And this is what the authors of these letters are trying to bring to the table of the church of their time and to us so that we would be a people living in the freedom of God by living soundly in the truth. Uh, Jude opens his letter up, if you remember from two weeks ago, with this beautiful description of both his relationship with Jesus, though half brother to Jesus, I am now servant to Christ. What a profound impact the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus had on Jude, that he would see himself as servant of Christ. And then to the church he's writing to, to us, what does he say? He says, to those of you that are called beloved and kept. Uh, Just a reminder, these conversations we're going to have about holding fast and how we've missed the boat on that at times and the consequence of that. Do not change who you are. You are called, you are beloved, and you are kept. I am speaking to you, Jude says, and I'm doing this. Why? Because I want the beauty of love and the beauty of peace and the beauty of mercy to increase in you. Who would like love, peace, and mercy to increase in them? I would like that. And James says, this conversation we're having is because I want that for you. And this conversation will lead us there if you take this conversation seriously. And then last week as Brady was here, uh, he walked us through uh, the journey of James, uh, of Jude now opening up and saying, okay, uh, so I would love to chat with you about our common salvation and just celebrate Jesus. I just love to write you a letter and say, isn't he awesome? Isn't he awesome? How awesome is he? Oh, he's awesome. Isn't he awesome? Oh my gosh, he's so awesome. I just love to write a letter about that. And, and that we can just celebrate in our common salvation, the beauty of being recipients of the work of the gospel, the work of God on our behalf. Wow, that's what I want to do. And we're going to do that uh, in time. But there's an urgency I need to talk with you about, about some things that have occurred that I feel compelled I need to converse with you about because those things are disrupting the joy of us just sharing in our common uh, salvation, the recipients of God's grace. And so we're going to have this conversation that I need to talk to you about. And and what I want to talk to you about is this. I I need you, a church, I need you to contend for the faith. I need you to contend for the faith. And and Jude uh, is going to travel this theme of holding fast to our faith, to the truth, to the gospel, uh, because false teaching is, is creeping in all over through our own belief and flesh, through those around us, through our culture, through others, and all over, it's coming, right? And, and, and Jude is going to stick singularly to this theme. 
Hey, he's not gonna deal with anything else. The other letters had other things in them. He's like, no, 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 this one. Hold fast to the truth, watch out for falsehood. It is terribly dangerous. And so he launches out into this and says, the reason I need to talk with you about contending for the faith is because something has crept in unnoticed into your midst. Quite a profound thing, isn't it? Didn't bang the doors down, didn't overcome you as you were trying to hold it back. It has crept in unnoticed and it is doing some things that are quite terrible. And this is what he wants to speak to us about. Uh, There were two tones in this letter, our two tones, uh, as Brady mentioned last week, a tone toward uh, the us, the church, those who have this thing that has crept in, false teaching, falsehood, and that tone is very gracious. It's appealing, it's, it's very urgent, but it's very gracious to you who are beloved, who are called, who are kept for these things. Man, I appeal to you, contend for the faith, come on, don't, 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 don't slip on this one. And then the tone toward those who have crept in, those bringing false teaching, that tone is not like, I appeal to you. It is an urgent and terrible warning of what happens when you are the person who is bringing about false teaching for your own gain. That is a terrible place to be. And, and Jude is gonna, uh, is gonna go back and forth between these two tones. What a joy it is that we as the church are the recipient of a tone that is gracious and kind, though appealing and urgent. And so we sit in this letter as we hear hard things as the recipients of God's grace toward us through Jude to say, wake up church and see what has crept in and what is disrupting unnoticed. Don't let that happen. Uh, Brady last week uh, showed us that this journey of falsehood creeping in began where? Like two of you are like uh, in the past, in history, at the very beginning of the human story in the Garden of Eden. That's where it began. This reality of something creeping in that is false, that opposes God and his truth, did not start somewhere in the middle of the Old Testament, somewhere at the end of the Old Testament, somewhere at the beginning of the New Testament, somewhere in the midst of AD 60, and suddenly we have to write about it. It started in the Garden of Eden when the enemy of God crept in unnoticed into the Garden of Eden. How do we know? Because when we show up at the serpent we have no idea how he got there we have no idea what we just know he's suddenly there and we're like how'd you get here he crept in unnoticed and what did he bring to the table the same thing false teaching always brings to the table it calls into question God's way and God's character and it heightens our way and our character that is always what false teaching will do any false gospel will call into question God's character and way and elevate our character and way you know better you see better so it starts with God said that huh that's odd that doesn't make any sense or is that your experience of God because I don't think it is. However, a false teaching starts, it calls into question the character, nature, safety, and way of God, and then it elevates our way. And in the garden, that is exactly what happened. The serpent called into question the character and nature of God and his way, and elevated the character, nature, and way and wisdom of Adam and Eve, the human race. And when we buy into that, it does not go well. 
And that's where this journey begins. False teaching and falsehood has been part of the story from the beginning. It creeps in unnoticed. Don't let it. And that is where uh, our story begins. Whenever false teaching comes and calls into question our, uh, God's way and elevates our way, one of two things happen every time. Every time. These are just things you can look at and go, there it is. Number one, it starts with lawlessness. It says, your way is better than God's way. Do it your way. Whatever you want to be, whatever you want to do, whatever you think is right, whatever it, do that. Because that's self-governance. You govern yourself. No one is your boss. No one governs you. You are your own person. Come on, man. Make it happen. That is self-governance. We call that lawlessness. And the reason that is so attractive is because us humans, we believe that freedom equals the lack of anyone governing you. If you have no parent, no boss, no, no, no person in charge, no, then, then you are free, right? And what we discover is that lawlessness or self-governance leads to disaster because it leads to darkness and death. Our way, darkness and death. God's way, life and freedom. God in charge, life and freedom. You and I in charge of ourselves, death and destruction. So then what false teaching will always do is it will move us. Since we discover that lawlessness leads to crazy stuff, we then move to self-righteousness. And we're like, if lawlessness is so unsafe, then my morality, my self-righteousness, my legalism, that's what will keep me safe. Because lawlessness is bad, righteousness is good. And though righteousness is good, self-righteousness is not good. Because self-governance, lawlessness is bad, and self-righteousness, uh, legalism is as terrible. And we will, in false teaching, always be invited to abandon Christ as our righteousness, and Christ as our way, and Christ as our Savior, and the gospel as it is, to either a gospel of lawlessness or a gospel of self-righteousness. And we need to be awake to that. We know from all the letters, 2 Timothy, 2 Peter, uh, Titus, Jude, every time, Galatians, every time there's false teachers involved, it's either, look, they're leading you to sensuality and greed and lawlessness, or they're leading you to a version of legalism, get circumcised, do this, do that, in order to keep God happy. Don't buy it. So Jude is jumping into this reality. And in this journey, as he has started with contend for the faith, verse uh, three, and then he started something has crept in, verse four, in the book of Jude now, he's going to break it down in two parts. Verses five through 16 is going to be a description of what's crept in and how terribly dangerous it is and how urgently we should react to that. And then verses 17 to 23 are going to be how we contend for the faith in this urgency. Are you with me? So verse three is 17 through 23 described, and verse four is five through 16 described. We are entering out of verse four into verse five, and so begins our journey. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Jude. It's right in front of the book of Revelation, so that's the easiest way to find it. Go to the back of the Bible and go back one book. If you're in a, on a smart device, just type in Jude. It'll do it for you. Okay, so here we go. So there, uh, Jude verse four, as a reminder, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. 
and then it describes who long ago were designed and so on. We covered that last week. They've crept in unnoticed. Verse five, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it. Where does Jude begin in response to this thing that has crept in? He starts here. I am gonna need to remind you of something that you once knew all too well. Which means if you are reminding someone of something they once knew, what's happened to them? They have what? Forgotten something. Are you with me? Jude is not saying, I need to tell you something that you do not know so that you'll be okay. He's saying, I need to remind you of something that you already know but you have forgotten. And the reason we know it's forgotten is because he said that you once knew. It's a past tense experience. He didn't say, I'm gonna remind you of something that you currently know. He's like, I'm reminding you of something that you once knew, but you have forgotten. So, so begins our journey. Something is forgotten and I need to remind you of it. This is urgent. Now what he does in the way that he begins this journey of reminder is extraordinary. The Spirit of God, as always, through inspiring an author of Scripture, is layering in so many things in single words and sentences that it is overwhelming what he is up to. And in this little passage, that is no exception. He is going to utilize the shortest little description, and in that he's going to layer in over and over again such beauty into this. So now we are going to be reminded of what perhaps we have forgotten because we once fully knew. And he says this, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. So he begins a journey now entering into a space where he is going to describe the consequential nature of unbelief or false belief. When we stop believing or we forget and we believe falsely, there's consequence to that. And this journey begins with this statement. I'm going to remind you of something that you once fully well knew that Jesus who saved his people from Egypt Afterwards, those who didn't believe he destroyed them. You're like, whoa, what's going on? Couple things going on here that are totally awesome. First, the fact that this is translated Jesus in the ESV version, the one we typically use, is interesting because if you have an NIV or you have a King James or some of the other versions, you will also see this translated, uh, tell you something that you once knew, that the Lord saved his people from Egypt. The actual original word there is directly translated the Lord, right? But what is the sentence that comes right before verse 5, ending verse 4? that our master and Lord, Jesus Christ, right? So look what, look what Judah's doing. It's incredible. As the Spirit of God inspires him, Judah's just stated that Jesus is our Lord and our master, right? So if we take that and we say, okay, if I say my Lord has saved me, yes, good. My master has saved me. Yep, Jesus has saved me. Yep, it's all the same. Uh, Judas saying, Jesus is our Lord and our master. If our Lord has saved us, who has saved us? Jesus, if our master has saved us, who has saved us? Jesus, if Jesus has saved us, who has saved us? Our Lord and master and Jesus. 
You with me? And so this is one of those moments where the point of what Judah's doing is tying those two things together and saying, this Lord and Master Jesus, who is your salvation through his life, death, and resurrection, he's been saving his people for how long? Always, a long time, since the serpent showed up in the garden. Right, so just as false teaching showed up in the beginning, so was his salvation ours from the beginning. And you know this. And those people that were saved by him out of Egypt, this now stirs for the audience that Jude is writing to an immediate remembrance of this great shadowing of the work of Jesus. This event that he's talking about, obviously many of you may know, uh, is the journey where God saved the Israelites out of Egypt through a set of supernatural events and then led them through the desert through a set of supernatural events into the promised land through a set of supernatural events. Wow, right? And the crazy part about it is after this grand rescue that God effected, and he did all of this, he then uses this story throughout um, Old Testament history and into New Testament story as a way of shadowing what he was gonna do for all of humanity, saving us from sin and death, not just one nation from another. This becomes the Passover meal where they celebrate God's rescue from Egypt through the blood of a lamb that set them free because death passed over them because they were protected by an unblemished lamb. And that becomes the story of God. So Jude references a story that is directly tied to the story of salvation, so much so that Jesus at his last meal before his death uh, would tell the disciples from now on at this meal, use this meal to remember what? Me, communion is born out of the meal of Passover. So literally, Jude is like, you know that meal that we as followers of Christ remember Jesus? Where'd that meal come from? From the shadow event that was when he rescued people out of Egypt. So that salvation is a shadow of our salvation. But look what happened, and here's the key. He says, the people that were saved there by God's power and display came into the desert toward the promised land. And at some point in that journey, they forgot who God was and they started behaving in a way that you behave when you forget who God is. What is the story about? It takes place in Numbers chapter 14, 15, and 16. You're welcome to go read all of that if you'd like. I'm gonna summarize it for you. The story begins in Numbers 14, actually a little bit before that, because before Numbers 14, the people have come out of Egypt. They're in the desert. God is providing for them day in and day out uh, for all their needs. He's a, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. He's with them in a tangible supernatural display every single day. And he sends a group of people into the promised land to go and scout it out so that the people of God can move into the promised land. Caleb and and Joshua are part of that group and there's 10 other guys. They go into the promised land. They come back and 10 of the 12 come back and say, the promised land is everything God said it would be. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. Can't wait to get there. It's nothing like the desert, except for the fact that there are giants that live there that are gonna kill us and we can't go. And, And Joshua and Caleb are like, I'm sorry, I'm a little confused. I'm with you on the part that that's everything God said it was. I'm not with you on the part that the giants are gonna kill us. Why not? 
Not because they're not giants, but because do you know who we serve? And the one that said, we're rolling in there and I'll take care of it. It's the cloud. It's the fire. It's the manna. It's the Red Sea. It's everything. It's God. Are you kidding me? And there's this kind of thing that goes on. We're like, we're either going to believe that God is who he is, or we're not going to believe that God is who he is. It's not about the giants. It's about who he is, right? So this begins a stirring in the people of Israel because they're in the hot desert. It's not even humid like Florida. I don't even understand. I'm like, you want to see hot? Come to Florida. Hot and humid. That'll kill you. So they're just in a dry desert. He's providing every day for them, and they start grumbling. You know, maybe they're right. I mean, this promised land thing, I don't know, man. It's, it sounds dangerous. It doesn't sound helpful. I don't think we should go there, and we definitely don't want to stay here. What's the only other option? Go back to where we were in slavery, except we won't call it slavery. We'll call it Egypt, where we ate really well. And that starts happening. And in 14, that's how it plays out. Beginning of 14, the people grumble to Moses and Aaron. They're like, what has God done? He's brought us here into this desert. We're going to die here. This is crazy. And Moses and Aaron fall on their face. And they're like, what are you doing? This, are, you, are you forgetting God? And listen to this. God actually speaks into this. Now, just before I read this little part, remember in the Old Testament, uh, the, the Old Testament is God displaying to us as a human race the realities of the consequences of sin uh, and the beauty of holiness and the grand chasm between the two so that we will not be confused about how desperately we need a savior. Because if we in any way think our sin is okay or God's holiness is tolerable even if we're sin, we're in trouble. So holiness, when it encounters sin, sin dies. That's how it works, right? So God in this is also demonstrating this. When you are sin or you choose sin, the consequence of sin, the consequence, in other words, of our way, when it opposes God's way, is always the same. There's one of two possibilities. It either takes you back into slavery where you were once bound, or you encounter God's justice, which is encountered as wrath against sin, and that's not good. So here are your two options if you ignore God's way and choose your own. Back to slavery or face the wrath of God. One of them's happening. Do you want either of those? And that's what the Old Testament is doing. Every time you're going to choose your way, it's either back to slavery or my justice equal wrath. And you want neither of those. If you trust my way, it's neither slavery nor my wrath, but my protection and my love. There's the story of the Old Testament. And now in the Old Testament, in chapter 14, this encounter happens and God is going to show Moses, show us, that when you're going to choose your way, you're either going back to slavery or you're going to get my wrath. Look what God says. Verse 11 of, of Numbers 14. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? It's, it's like God is verbalizing what he hopes we don't miss. Does this look as stupid to you as it does to me, God says? I'm literally with them every day as a supernatural cloud and then a fire. I've gotten them through the Red Sea. I provide daily manna for them. I protect them from their enemies. I give them a land of promise. I tell them how I'm going to get them there. It's all incredible day in and day out. And they forget minute by minute. Yeah, that cloud of, I don't know about that cloud anymore. I mean, it's gotten us here. <laughs> now the promised land giants. Oh my gosh, God doesn't care about us. And he's like, how long will my people 
when I'm right in front of them doing these things, just forget that quickly. And then he says to Moses, I love this. You know what? I will strike them with a pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. Here's what God says. What they don't understand is my capacity is very simple. I'll just wipe them out. And Moses, from you and Aaron right now, uh, I can take your story and build a nation bigger than that one overnight. It's not a problem. It's not God saying that's somebody because, you know, then you have Moses like, please don't kill them. You can't do that. And there's that whole interaction. And we think God is like this emotional child is like, that's it. I'm done with them. I'm killing them. What is God showing us every time this happens? When you choose your way over mine, you're either going to end back in Egypt or you're going to encounter my wrath. Those are your two options. And neither of them are what you want. And so here we stand again as God saying, when you forget who I am, when you forget what I've done, when you forget who you are because of me, when you forget the gospel, it goes very badly. Don't do that. False teaching is not a small thing. It is a deadly, horrid thing that when it creeps in will kill you. Then, crazy, in chapter 15... There's an entire chapter about sacrifices and how to understand God's mercy and how to understand sin. And in chapter 16, a bunch of guys from that group, they rise up. They get 250 people that have good repute and they come to Moses and Aaron after the grumbling. And they're like, enough, enough. You have led us far enough. We're not gonna let this go on. You say you're following God, but we don't know about that. The congregation has spoken and we're standing up for this. And Moses says to them, okay, first falling on his face again with Aaron, uh, just overwhelmed by the stupidity of the people. And uh, he says to them, okay, I'll tell you what, why don't we let God decide if uh, Aaron and I should lead or if you all should lead? And if you all should lead, great, then we'll go back to Egypt, right? So uh, he says, we're gonna set up this little thing and we're gonna see what God does with it. And then at a certain point when they all gather, 250 of them and the whole group of people that were stirring the congregation, this is what Moses says. He says, I'll tell you what, if these people die a natural death, they grow old and die like you and me, then clearly uh, I'm wrong and they should lead. And I relinquish my leadership. But if God swallows them up into the earth right now, then I think I should keep leading under God's direction. It's a fair statement. And here's what the Bible says. The instant he stopped saying that, the ground opened up underneath those 250 men and all of the rest of that group of people that were coming against Moses and Aaron and against God, because Moses said that, you're not coming against me. You're coming against God. You don't want to do that. Swallowed them up into the earth. And the rest of Israel ran screaming. It actually says it. They're like, ah! As they ought to. And God demonstrated again in this story. That's why he put it in Jude. When a group of people, a person, anyone, or your own flesh comes and dares to tell you that God is not who he is, you are not who you are, that he said you are, and he did not do what he said, and he is not safe. It is extremely dangerous, and God deals with it with great passion and swiftly. God saved Israel from ending back up in Egypt or from being the recipients of his wrath by his swift dealing with this group of people. And this is Jude saying, when creeping into your midst is falsehood, 
that's what's going on and that's where it leads. Now, as though that's not enough and you're like, got it, that sounds really urgent. Jude is like, not done yet, not done yet. There's a little more I wanna cover just in case you all are like, eh, is it really that bad? Listen to this. After this reality of um, destroying those who did not believe, verse six, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal change under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So this is a story out of Genesis chapter six, when angels from heaven came down to earth and engaged with human woman and produced offspring that became the Nephilim. Okay, weird story. Okay, angels stepping out of their design, not believing God and choosing their own way. If you wanna know more about that story, I could tell you now, but I don't need to take that time because Peter in his second letter used this exact same story in this exact same way about the dangers of choosing our way and not believing God. And we covered that in great detail in second Peter chapter two. I would encourage you to go back to second Peter chapter two on the podcast and listen to that message because it is important that you and I have the context of both the first story we just covered, which I just gave you because that was not in second Peter and this story, which I'm not going to cover now, other than the fact that this is Jude's point. It doesn't matter what part of creation doesn't believe God. It doesn't matter what part of creation buys into falsehood. The end is the same. It is bondage. It is chains. It is death. Even when the angels do not believe God, what ends up being their story? Bondage, chains, and death. So it is not simply a human problem. It is a creation problem. If any part of creation chooses to believe themselves rather than God, it ends the same terrible way. So take heed from the story of Egypt's rescue and the unbelief there. Take heed from the story of the angels not believing. They ended up in the same bondage. Slavery or God's wrath or both. Wow! And then after he does that and Jude's covered that, he's like, wait, not done yet. Let's see where this terrible thing goes if you take it all the way to its end. The angels, uh, they, they're held accountable in this way. The people of Egypt, certainly you saw what happened there. And then verse seven, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and the pursuit of unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So we know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and God bringing fire down on them because of them choosing their own way. This was also a story we covered in 2 Peter chapter 2 because it's also an example he used there. Go back and listen to all the details of the horrid realities of Sodom and Gomorrah as it stands. It wasn't just about some people doing a couple of bad things and God pouring fire on them. It is not that. It is something far more insidious and terrible than you can imagine. We covered that ground. What is the point here? Judas showing us a progression. Remember the people that had God show them himself and then they stopped believing right in the middle of that and they wanted to go back? How did that go for the ones trying to stir the crowd? Very badly. And how was it gonna go for the crowd if they bought in? Very badly. So don't do that. Don't be those people. Don't do that, church. Don't buy into false teaching. Believe God. Second, 
Even the angels are not excused from this. You believe God or you get one of those two. That's how justice works. That's the reality of beauty and beauty of holiness. And if you do those things, they take you to such a dark place that you start forgetting everything that is good and you indulge in things so unnatural, so unbelievable, so unthinkable, so mixed up, so messed up. Go listen to the podcast. Those people were literally like you, like what happened to you? They were personified by darkness. And he's using this example to say, not only do you end in bondage or God's wrath, but the reality is that bondage is terrible and God's wrath is massive. And Sodom and Gomorrah got both, the bondage and God's wrath. And so he's saying, is that what you want your story to be? No. He's talking to the false teachers here saying, if you are going to be the people bringing this to people, man, this is your story. And he's talking to us this way. The thing that crept in, that came unnoticed, it is not a thing to take lightly. It is waiting to take you down that path and take every freedom from you and leave you back in slavery or facing God's wrath. Now, here's the good news. Has Jude already said that we are, wait for it, called, beloved, and kept? So again, he's not saying if you miss this one and you don't believe momentarily, you have some doubts, you buy into some false teaching, you move from being a child of God back to a child of wrath. He's already covered that ground. What he's appealing to us for is this. Do you really want to buy into false teaching and live outside of the freedoms of God's way here on this planet uh, only to make it to the end and skate by into heaven because Jesus is gracious? No, you don't. I appeal to you, church, live out the gospel by holding fast to it. And so he is calling us by demonstrating to us the tremendous power of this darkness through these clear stories. So he's saying to the church that he's writing to, where is this false teaching? It's already in the house, right? He's like, it crept in unnoticed. It's among you and it's disrupting you. He's also, he's also made it clear that this false teaching was the kind of false teaching that led to immorality or lawlessness, right? Uh, sensuality and greed. So there's false teaching that leads to legalism and there's false teaching that leads to lawlessness. This is the lawlessness kind. It says it in there. That's why he uses examples like Sodom and Gomorrah because he's like, not only is the false teaching dangerous, but where it's taking you is lawless and lawlessness kills you. Now that he's done with this, it starts begging a question, doesn't it? Question one, the false teaching is among us. We need to wake up, notice it, and get it what? Out. But there's another question, isn't it? And that's what Jude is gonna deal with a lot. Somehow it did what? It got in. And it got in how? Unnoticed. So when you have something getting in unnoticed and you get it out, what's bound to happen? It's gonna get back in how? Unnoticed. So what do you have to find? where it got in. Uh, we we uh, live on some, um, uh, uh, in South Winter Garden and we have a, a little bit of land in a more rural area. So we have lots and lots of critters and we love them. Well, some of our very favorite critters are these little flying squirrels. Uh, so they can launch off a roof and glide into a tree and you watch them and they're so cute and so amazing. 
And we used to try to catch them and, and then release them and, and see the whole thing. And then uh, one day we started having some problems in our house and, and we got uh, a person out to come and check and they got in our attic and they're like, oh, you have squirrel problem. The squirrels have gotten into your attic and they enjoy chewing through things like air conditioning and wires and so on, which kind of disrupts your entire house. So we're like, great, can, can we take care of that problem? So they set traps for them, sweet and nice traps, and then released them out in the wild, I believe. I'm just going to leave myself there and and and. and not go down another path. Um, and so these cute little squirrels, which are cute, but when they get in the house, uh, then they start creating a, a giant mess. So after they caught all the squirrels, and like, we got the squirrels, I was like, sweet, we fixed the stuff we need to fix, and off we go. And after a few weeks or months, I forget, guess what happened? More disruption. And I'm like, what's going on? So I call them back, and they're like, oh, you didn't have some squirrels get in by accident. They have a way in. And I can trap them all day long, but within a couple of weeks, the next family will roll in when this family moves out. So what we got to do is we got to find out where they're getting in. And in an attic like this, those squirrels can crawl through a hole smaller than a dime. And so he's like, basically what we got to do is seal off the entire attic if we're going to do this. And with that sealing off comes a small price tag. And we're like, I wonder what the price tag is. And then they told us and we're like, okay, after a slow death, we're like, okay, is there any other, any other option? Like there is another option we don't have to seal anything off and we can just over and over again, let them roll back in and we can come trap them and it will be much cheaper for now. But in time, the expense of them coming in every time and disrupting is going to be far more expensive than this one-time expense you have to pay now. So they sealed our attic. And the squirrels haven't been back in since they sealed it. This is what Jude is trying to say to us. How did it get in, this false teaching? How did it show up? What was it that was the hole that got it in? Let's find that hole and let's plug it so that it can never get back in again. One, you've got to see it because it got in unnoticed and you've got to get it out. But two, you've got to block the hole. And Jude tells us exactly what the hole was that got the false teaching uh, a space to get in unnoticed in the first place. And he does it in two spaces, actually. The first is in Jude uh, verse 17, which I told you already through 16 is about the false teachers and the false teaching and its consequences. And then 17 onward is about how we contend for the faith. We're not dealing with that today. I'm just going to show you to open up the story. Look what he says in verse 17. But you must remember, beloved... What must we do? We must remember. What must we remember? He told us in verse five, didn't he? I am writing to remind you of things you once knew but forgot. And what am I reminding you? That Jesus rescued you. And you should stick with that. Don't start being those people that say he did, but he didn't. Jesus is your way. Jesus rescued you. Jesus is your righteousness. Jesus is your safety net. Not your self-righteousness, not your self-governance. Jesus, the gospel, stick with that. And you, my friends, Jude says, must remember. You must remember. What was the hole through which false teaching creeps in unnoticed? Forgetting. 
When you forget the gospel, when you forget the word of God, when you forget the truth of God, when you buy into the circumstances that dare to say God is not enough for you, the relational dynamics that make it hard for you in life and God is absent and doesn't care, the resource challenges you face that say, where is your God? And your voice in your head or your flesh or a friend or whomever uh, starts saying to you, where is your God? When you forget the gospel and you forget who God is, then immediately there are holes through which false teaching will inevitably show up. Our safety from false teaching is staying deeply grounded every day in the truths of the gospel and the truths of God's word. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? You're like, oh yeah, amen, I'll do that. That's expensive. Remembering is expensive. Do you know why? Because remembering isn't just about how we think of the word remember, like, hey, don't forget, remember, Jesus is awesome. It's not just about remembering. Remembering, we've talked about this in the past, is actually a constant reconstructing of what is true because it's deconstructed. What do I mean? The word remember is made up of two parts, right? Re and member. And there's another word called dismember made up of two parts. The two parts are dis and member. What does it mean to dismember something? To tear it apart, to tear it apart. And in fact, Peter in his first letter describes our enemy, that serpent that was in the garden as one who comes to dismember us, dismember the gospel, dismember truth. He walks around like a roaring lion waiting for someone to devour. Devour and dismember, same word. Not same word, but same concept, right? Devour, dismember, tear apart like a lion does. And so what Jude is saying here is, listen, every single day, every single day, your flesh is going to try to dismember the truths of the gospel, of who Jesus is, of who you are in him, and of how safe he is, and of what he's done for you. Every day, your circumstances will dare to say, where is he? Every day, your resource challenges will say, where is your God? Every day, your struggles will say, does he care about you? Every day, people will come in with new philosophies, new realities, new ideologies of God's word out of context and bring them to you to make you feel warm and fuzzy and tickle your ears. And you'll be like, yeah, God is about me and about my well-being right now forever. God does love you and he is about you, but this is about the glory of who? Jesus, Jesus and Jesus alone. And you're going to buy into these things if you are not deeply grounded in the gospel. And what that's going to require is that every time the serpent shows up uh, like a lion who wants to devour and whispers to you, you have to step on forward with the gospel. So that means you better be real grounded in the gospel and say, oh, I see your falsehood. I see it. I see what my little feelings are telling me. I see what my little brain is telling me and it does not align with God and who he is. So I'm gonna take that on captive and I'm gonna roll on forward because I'm not gonna buy it. We have to be that diligent and that's gonna be expensive. Here's why. In order to remember the gospel every day, preach it to yourself every day, you've gotta be in God's word regularly. Uh, it takes time, time I don't have. Yeah, I hear you, it's expensive. You've gotta memorize God's word. What? I'm not good at memorizing. I know friends that are good at memorizing. Uh, my brain doesn't work that way. You're going to get in your car today and a song will come up for that you haven't heard in 27 years. And the second it starts playing, you'll be like, oh, singing along. And guess what? You'll likely drive home today without GPS because you have memorized your way home. Did you know that? 
You are perfectly capable of memorizing. Every single one of you can do that. It just takes some work when it comes to memorizing something that isn't as much fun as driving home. You better put in the time to memorize so that you don't have to be like, oh my gosh, I don't remember what the Bible says. You gotta be ready that when untruth comes and says, wow, today is hard. Wow, these trials are overwhelming. God is absent. You gotta remember, what does God say? Whenever you face trials of many kinds, remember, remember, find joy in this, that that this testing of your faith is refining you uh, into being a person of maturity, completeness, and not lacking anything. And I gotta bring that gospel truth back. Whenever I face something that says Jesus isn't who he is, I got to have something ready to bring back. That takes time. I've got to spend time in the disciplines of the faith to encounter the abiding rhythms with God so that I'm with him a lot. Oh, that's more time. Yeah, it's expensive. And I've got to be around the body of Christ, other followers of Jesus regularly. How regularly are you saying? Regularly, Help, hopefully on a daily basis, somehow just touching base. Remind me, remind me. <laughs> oh, that's expensive. I got time for a half hour on a Sunday every third week because it's Florida and the sun's shining. It's expensive to remember. But you know what's much, 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 much more expensive? forgetting. You forget, false teaching comes in, and death and darkness comes with it. That's expensive. Pay the price of the journey and rhythms of remembering, and you won't pay the price of the terrible realities of forgetting the gospel and giving space for the darkness of false teaching to come in and hound you. That's what Jude is saying. Please, please, Pay the price of remembering so that you don't have to pay the price of forgetting. The letter of Jude is appealing to us, church. Stay true to the gospel. Know the gospel. Understand the gospel. Be in the word of God. Hold fast to the gospel. Be with one another, holding fast and stirring one another together and be in the rhythms of the disciplines of the faith so that you are abiding with Jesus and then you will remember and then you will be safe. We will eradicate the problem of false teaching and we will keep it out when we stand firm in the gospel. So Jude says, I would like to remind you of something that you once knew and know all too well that you have forgotten. And then he ends this little journey with, you what, remember? Must remember. What a glorious thing that God is inviting us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our minds set on things above, our hearts bent toward him so that we will be safe from the invasion of falsehood that will bring with it darkness and death. Let's pray. God, thank you for your incredible love for us and the amazing ways in which you seek to protect us in every way. Thank you that you are appealing to us as your people, those who are called, beloved, and kept so that grace and mercy and love and peace might abound in us as we find ourselves safe, not because we are morally righteous or morally unrighteous, free because of self-governance or free because of self-righteousness, but that we are free because we keep our eyes fixed on you. Remember what you've done for us. Remember who you are and remember who we are because of you. So that when you say go across that river into that land, we will go without question. We will trust your ways, trust where you're leading us, even if right now we're stuck in a desert. We will not let the desert inform us about your character. 
like those of old. We will let you and your supernatural power and wonder inform us of your character, your revelation, your clarity in your word, the empowering of your spirit and your body, each other. So we will stay stay close to you by staying close to each other, being in rhythms and being in your word by your spirit and letting you show us the way so that every day we can preach the gospel to ourselves and remember what has been dismembered. God, we pray that you would come and empower us to be people who remember the gospel every day. Because just as we face the realities of that great lion who is trying to devour us, that is actually a serpent, we want you and your truth to come nose to nose and devour the darkness as you, our king, our lion, stands before us as we remember who you are. God, we thank you for your love for us. Show us the way in Jesus' name. Amen.